Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Michael Young called the battle into turn number one. Boy, Felix Rosenquist, Apollo Award, nearly crash. Apollo Award's front end washes out. The big news is they got out of front of Graham Ray Hall, Scott McLaughlin, and Marcus Erickson. So Felix Rosenquist will have the de facto lead. Makes his way into the pits for his final stop. Just one stint away from clinching his second championship in the last three years. Dealing with a little bit of oversteer. They're taking a turn of front wing out of the American Legion Honda. Really clean stop for the Ganassi crew, and he's down and away. It is the ultimate exclamation point to win a championship in style. Alex Pelot down the back straightaway, nice and smooth. Stays out of the marbles through turns eight and nine for the final time. Mark James, here comes the Spaniard out of the final corner. All the off-track distractions did not distract him on track. He weaves to the start-finish line. The advanced auto parts, twin checkered flags in the air. The 2021 champion becomes the 2023 champion. Congratulations to Alex Pelot. He wins the BitNile.com Grand Prix of Portland. Felix Rosenquist with a great run finishes second. Scott Dixon third. Pato Ward and Joseph Dugarden complete the top five. I cannot really believe it, honestly. It's been an amazing uh, season, uh, an amazing race today, and cannot thank the team enough, American Legion. Um, it's a special month for us um, here in September, but um, yeah, honestly, we're missing Barry as well, um, but uh, the team did an amazing job all season and today especially. It almost goes without saying, the last few years have been tumultuous for you off the track, but on it, you've remained serene, you've remained composed, you make it look easy, but how difficult has it been to tune all of that out and focus on the job at hand. Um, yeah, obviously it's not been ideal, but uh, with the family, friends and the team I have, it's easy to get to handle. Will you be back with Chip Ganassi Racing next year? Yeah, sure. And we have a new champion. It's a previous champion. Alex Pillow wins the 2023 NTT IndyCar Series crown and takes care of the BitNile.com Grand Prix Highlights from Portland International Raceway from over the weekend, courtesy of IndyCar Radio, NBC Sports, and more. Thank you for joining us. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan is our location. Podcasts will be posted in the usual outlets. Spread the word. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, on the website at 1075thefan.com. After we're done tonight, I'm Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan is along, and Eddie Garrison is inside our Indianapolis studios. Um... Seem really appropriate, Kurt, that the guy who has dominated the championship gets to do it by dominating another race. Well, uh, you know, I don't like to to brag on these things, but I will say I saw this one coming from a country mile. Uh, I we have a little discussion within our office, and I just said, you know, one person was, oh, it's going to be Graham Rahal, and oh, it's going to be Scott Dixon because he really needs. I go. 
You've, you fellas are nuts. This is going to be an Alex Pillow beatdown, just like we saw at Laguna. It'll be very much, you know, it's going to be a GMR Grand Prix type of race from a tire standpoint and a road course standpoint. To me, the only reason uh, that Alex doesn't win this race is if he just absolutely puts it on autopilot and drives around while he's having a, a latte and just relaxes. But I said, that's not who Alex is. He wants to do this in style and and with an in, with an exclamation point that that'll remind everybody why he's as good as he is. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we don't bet on these things, but this is this was the surest thing that I've seen all year going into the race. And so, you know, when it happened, I I just was like, yep, saw that one coming. I won't say that I predicted that after qualifying. I thought Graham Rahal might stink up the show. We'll get to that part of it and a little bit into what happened to Ray Hall and McLaughlin. But as you say that, it makes sense because of the cushion that he had. Pelot is so smart that if he was up by 22, 28, 36, whatever, if he was in a position where crashing would have cost him the championship, then he would have finished fifth or whatever needed to be done. But he had a cushion. And worst case scenario, and he were to crash. Now, by the way, he's also good enough to be aggressive and not crash because he rarely does. But worst case scenario, he crashes. He still just needs to finish the next race in the top eight or whatever it is. And he's got the thing done. So, yes, makes it all that much better. And and frankly, (laughs) from the show standpoint, uh, worked out quite nicely because while we'd all love to see the championship, I'm talking from a show business standpoint and what, you know, IndyCar or the league might be hoping for. We we love that streak of the championship going to the final race. In this circumstance, it really wasn't going to go down to the wire. It was probably going to be he needs to start the race or he needs to not finish last or something like that. And then it's, eh, you know, clinching when the pace laps pull away is not awesome. It's still good, but I like this. Let's just seem perfect celebrate the championship by winning another race let's do it in victory lane and a little bit to the point you just made there's a little bit of uh you know a lot of bit of discussion that goes on during the course of the past week and and really the last two weeks you know how do we appropriately signify that he's the champion especially on a day when maybe like graham rahal wins the race and he locks up the championship. And yes, the broadcasters can say Pelot is now the series champion, but you've got another driver in victory lane and you're trying to give him his moment. You think about all the years where even at the last race, you got two different celebrations going on. Yep. You know, in this whole process of how do you, you know, you're not, he's not going to get the trophy till next week or this week, but thinking back a week, he's not going to get the trophy until he gets to Laguna Seca. That's, you know, contractual. So how do you properly celebrate? Well, you properly celebrate by having him be the one of victory lane. Now, you know, no one orchestrated that, but he delivered. And I think, you know, you know, in, in, in online betting, you know, you can do at the end of the first quarter, who's going to win the second quarter of an NFL game or whatever. Well, as soon as Alex got through turn one, and he, it was one of the masterful performances we've seen. He lagged back, you know, just give everybody space going to turn one, which is a real trouble spot at Portland. And then he picks the lane that, that Colton gets bogged down 
uh, he chooses the opposite lane. And when he mm-hmm. came out in third ahead of Scott Dixon, it was game over. I mean, yep. it was game over and he's just masterful. And I, you know, I obviously have a lot of respect for the guys that have won championships the last two decades, three decades, but my goodness, this is a guy that you think could go on a roll now and win, you know, three of the next five. I mean, he really could. He's going to be really good, and 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 I don't see anything slowing him down. And it took a legal dispute with his own team in the middle of the last season to keep him from maybe going three for three. Um, you know, who knows if that's the only thing that kept him from winning last year. There are always other factors involved. As, as far as what the plan would have been, it would have been like other years when the champion does not win the race. We would have talked to the champion. I would have talked to Polo at his pit box right at the end of the race, whether he finishes second or 17th, if he had wrapped up the championship. And then the poor winner drives to victory lane and has to sit there for 10 minutes, you know, probably the interview, probably commercial break. And then we come out to him. I remember doing that with, uh, Colton a couple of years ago at Laguna Seca. I guess I would have done the same thing with Pillow last year. We would have talked to Power first, and then it was a few minutes before I talked to Pillow in Victory Lane. So there still would have been a little celebration, probably some confetti, probably a decal. Uh, but yeah, it looks a lot better when it's in a Victory Lane in that circumstance. So it works out well. And here's another thing, looking ahead to this weekend. And by the way, let's don't forget, we do have another race. Coming up this weekend, we have a long pre-race show. I believe we're on at 2.30 Eastern, which is 11.30 local. This is a 55-minute pre-race show. Uh, That's, you know, the time is set because we're going to break down the championship. And we'll cover a lot of stories. So in one sense, it would be, oh, it's crushing that you don't have the championship. And this was kind of our conversation on our, our NBC call today. Yeah, we're all disappointed that we won't see the championship decided in the last weekend like we always do, but the people who are likely to be watching this weekend, head-to-head, week one of the NFL season, love IndyCar racing, and they are going to be excited to see it. They know that they will not see it again in a racing format for five or six months. The audience is going to be there, and the other good part is we've always felt bad for the last race of the season for not finishing up stories with the other 23 or 24 cars. And they get it. They understand that unless you're leading the race or maybe in the top three, if you're not in the championship, it's going to be hard to get your story on the air. In this case, we know the championship and we'll still celebrate Alex Pillow and look for some stories to kind of accentuate that and what Ganassi has done. But this becomes a normal race and we are going to be able to go through the field and wrap up stories, highlights of the season Talk about where people are going to be next year. We're going to try to interview somebody from every team. Um, I've suggested, I don't know exactly how it'll work, but you know, sort of a, a mini grid run using all of us, not with just one person, but Marty Snyder will be joining us. So me, Marty, and Dylan, you know, kind of take turns bouncing back and forth and get somebody from each team to let them kind of tell their story. So I'm excited. Uh it's a brand new track. They are going to be fast. They are going to be three to four seconds faster at Laguna Seca this weekend. And we are going to relish seeing IndyCar racing and enjoy it while we have it. So a new track for those not 
paying attention on a daily basis. A new track is they've repaved since last year, and it's been a long time. It's been a very abrasive track. It's been a long time since they repaved. So yeah, it's it's a whole different different ball game. Um, we've had the chance to talk to Nathan O'Rourke this week for our setup piece on IndyCar.com, and you know it just it just changes everything, and it changes some of the curbing and and some of the placements. Uh, it, just because even a few feet make a big difference, but yeah, it's going to be fun this weekend. I think it's really nice that the spotlight is off the championship battle in the, some respects. I was thinking about this show tonight, and you know there. We, you and I joke around that we've been doing this show since 2008, and you can count on one hand the number of segments that we've had, you know, maybe a 10-minute segment where we didn't really know what we were going to talk about. There's been so much happened this week, and it's only Tuesday, and we know of a couple other things that are likely <laughs> to happen before before we all get back on track. And by the way, they're on track this week on Thursday because of an open test which typically doesn't happen in a race weekend. So they'll be on track Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday is not going to be a big blowout. You're not going to be able to. It's not like a regular practice day, but cars will be on track. There's so many storylines still to play out and that have happened even since the checkered flag flew on Sunday about you know 545 that we'll have no problem tonight talking about the various uh, storylines and the people and the movement and what we think still might happen and what probably won't happen and this and that. There's still so much that you can talk about. Your 55-minute pre-race show is going to be very much like a radio show because you can cover a lot of things. We'll get to the news a little bit later on. One thing has already been confirmed with Felix Rosenquist that I think everybody in the paddock knew this weekend, so we didn't really hide that too much. And last week, um, after you finished up, I did a segment where I just predicted who was going to be in every seat. So I'll look back at that. I wrote it down. I'll look back at that, and I'll tell you how I will even refute myself, I think, in some circumstances. So the ones that I predicted pretty strongly, uh, I'm still confident in. You know, we're, we're going to hear about David Malukas and McLaren, and we're going to hear about uh, Marcus Armstrong, I think, is going to be staying at Ganassi. Um, don't have enough to report that. Not interested in reporting things. Per se, just like to talk about things. This is what we think. There's a different level in involved there. Um, but then I'll tell you this: there are others that I think are wide open, and then it really is just a educated guess kind of thing. So we'll get to that. Want to get back to how the race was on, won, and lost, and what happened with Graham Rahal and Scott McLaughlin? So I don't know that it. You know, I, I always think it's a you're you're a little better at at tracking you know tire strategies, but. You know, one of the things that we talked about, and and Colton Herter was the first to say it on Saturday after qualifying. You know, Graham had went out and used up a a, a new set of sticker tires, a new set of, of primary tires, because he felt like that was going to be the quicker way to go. He used those up in qualifying, and Colton made the point, and this is a point you know we always make at least behind the scenes. It's difficult to kind of explain sometimes. But there's always a give and take. That last Firestone Fast 6, if you're going to go for it, there's going to be a sacrifice at some point because, you know, as a as a group that doesn't get out of the first round of of uh of knockout qualifying, they've got an extra set of stickers that that somebody else doesn't have. And yeah, you don't really think somebody from the 15th or 16th spot can can come charging through the field every week, but there is theoretically an advantage. And in this case, I think you start with the fact 
that Graham used one of his his primaries. Now, did he have another set? He he seemed to indicate maybe he did, but um, but I think that's where I would start. And you know, the other guys, the the tire strategy was just different. I think mostly it's that there's some of that, and some of it is bad luck. Or if you listen to Graham Rahal's radio, and there's some of that traffic. is just venting, but it is traffic. And yes, there is a way to help you predict where you're going to come out in traffic, but it's not foolproof because you're looking at what the gap is going to be. But at some point you've made your decision to come in and pit and you pit and maybe someone else who's a little bit ahead of you pits two laps later and they come out right in front of you and they're not very quick, then there's nothing you can do about that. Or maybe they've decided to pit with a last-second call the same time that you are pitting. But that's what it looked like was happening to both Graham and to McLaughlin. I I do think it turned out to be a strategy win that the Ganassis did with Dixon and Pillow and Pato did this as well. Uh, And Rosenquist did this. Don't run the, the Reds early because... They weren't as good. It was still, it was kind of mixed. There was a lot of fear that they weren't going to be good enough, but no one was certain because it was 91 degrees for the warm up. And the general consensus is tires will last better when it's cooler. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be smart enough to understand this because I'm trying to get last second nuggets before the race. And I've got 45 seconds as I run into Colton Herta before he climbs in the car. And we're chatting about that. And he said, no, that's not the case for this track. Being 20 degrees cooler is not necessarily going to help. I am still severely concerned about the Reds, and I do not think they will last. And then you notice towards the end of his first stint, they were falling off. Now, different teams are better at managing them because Graham and McLaughlin actually kept up a pretty decent pace for another four laps or so. They were they were doing okay, but that's part of it. They were losing it there. But then when the others needed to run their reds, the track is better. And then there's not as much degradation. And that's what Rosenquist was trying to do with last stint. And he finished second and he got very lucky that the yellow didn't come out. But it was still not as good as he would have liked. What when did that yellow come? Whenever it was like 82? Was, 82. It was at least five laps earlier than he wanted to pit. Because he wanted to make the last stint 17 laps, 20 laps max, and he had to do 26 or, or something. 26 yeah, or 7, once, yeah. once it went back to green. So uh, the, the feeling there was, yeah, he's probably going to fall off a cliff at the end, and Dixon might still finish second. He did well to make them last in that circumstance. But that's that's the best I can figure out on that. Uh, and then once you know we saw it happening – and this is here's inside information on how it works on the broadcast. As I'm watching it back, I see Hinch. Hinch said something after the race. He said, you know, I, I really wish we had an extra person in the truck that doesn't have any kind of responsibilities and all their job is is to listen to the broadcast. And then when I pitch a story, if I've missed the booth, tell it they let me know. And he said, Oh, funny you said that, because I did I said something today and 30 seconds later you repeated it. And then I watched it back. And, and when he made the mention that Pelot has already gapped uh, Graham by 
31 seconds and time lost on pit lane is around 30, you know, Pelot is going to come out in front. And the way that happens is I'm sure I am pitching the pit producer at that time. Hey, I don't think we've talked about this yet. Here's time lost and Pelot is gapping and he's going to come out well in front. Well, that's exactly what Hinch is saying. That's <laughs> we both missed it uh, because it kind of mutes. So I, I gotta. I guess I need to turn off the scanner at that point. So I always keep the broadcast in my ear, but I like to have the scanner on so I can hear if someone starts screaming that something has gone wrong. But it worked out, and we both we all saw it. Everybody saw it that was watching. That by the time before the first pit stop even happened, unfortunately, the race was over. Yeah, for for somebody who is watching at home, I think one of the key elements is to to understand how this is going to play out in a in a strategy type situation is to listen to the nugget and you're pretty good about providing it pretty early in the race. What is the time lost from from the from the racetrack to pit road back to the racetrack? What is the pit stop elapsed time? And and you had it pegged pretty well and then I could watch for example, when I had that bit of nugget, uh, I could watch then what what is what is Pelot's deficit? You know, okay, he's only twenty eight seconds behind right now, for example, or he's got a twenty eight. You know, he's up twenty eight seconds. Yeah, in this but case, he's up twenty eight. He's up twenty eight yeah. seconds, Whatever. but then, but then he's only going to lose. And so you can do the math real quick, and you could see immediately that when you made that comment or when you guys discussed it. It was about a two-second advantage. He was going to come out in front, but the more that lap went, the next couple of laps after, he was about six or seven seconds to the good. And so you could just kind of watch that grow. And you could, it's really nice. You know, television's come a long way and be being able to provide uh, very timely information about, you know, lap times and distance between cars, you know. And I, I, one thing I hate about the Formula One broadcast, you see intervals between fifth and sixth is like 3.2. No, I need to see what the total is from from the leader. I don't need to see what the separation necessarily is. I can do the math in my head. If fifth place is down 10 seconds and sixth place is down 12, that's two seconds. I can do that math. But, but you know. Yeah, but it, they it know was, no one's jumping more than one spot. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But they're. Uh, other, than, uh, uh, other than Max. Max, Max can is do coming to first from wherever he starts. Wherever he starts, he's coming to the front. Yeah, that that's true on Max's part, and that's why he's won now ten in a row, and they've won all of the races this season, Red Bull. But uh, anyway, television's come a long way in helping you understand strategy because it used to have to kind of do it in your head, and it was very difficult to do. So, so kudos to the graphics department and those that have come up with uh, with the splits because it's very easy to read. But but clearly. Uh, to our point, the question you started the 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 area here with is that Graham and Scott McLaughlin got bogged down in traffic pretty early, but you know, it's 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 just and I you can understand Graham's frustration. He's like, why would you bring me down pit road to put me out behind some guys that I can't pass? And we always talk about how competitive the sport is, and we really love that. Well, the problem is. If you're if you're the third fastest car on a racetrack and you get behind the twentieth fastest car on a racetrack, the separation and talent and equipment is so small, you can't pass yeah. him. You can't pass. So it's not that it's not that the series has a situation of, 
you know, it's difficult to pass, blah, blah, blah. Well, the problem is the competition is so darn close and the equipment is so close. You just can't. In hindsight, uh, maybe he should have come in when Herta did, because I think he was almost two seconds up on. Well, it was on Graham. No, it was on McLaughlin. And then Pelot got by McLaughlin. And then yeah. that's when it really started to shrink. And you heard Graham even say, hey, I can do one more before he made the first stop. And they said, no, 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 come in now. You know, think of what it would have been if he would have even done sure. one more. By that point, Pelot might have even passed him on track. May not have, since he knew he was going to pit. He probably would not have taken the chance at that circumstance. Go back to Pelot before we get back to the box score. I'm worried that he might stink up the show for a few years. I actually was uh, excited that he was going to McLaren because that is a that's an uncertainty. There, there's no guarantee that no matter how good he is, he is what he has been in that car. Now, Felix Rosenquist is not Alex Pillow, but Felix Rosenquist was pretty good in a Ganassi car. He couldn't drive the McLaren car, certainly the first year. Now, they've got better. They are better than what they were. That's not just that he had to adapt to the car. I'm sure they've made the cars better. And even Pato uh, did not like the inconsistency that the cars had. They're significantly better now. But it doesn't always work. Alexander Rossi has uh, not taken to it immediately. He's done okay, but he's not won a race. He's not been up front a lot this season. I think Alex Pillow would be good, but is he five race good? No, I don't know. It's just a big uncertainty. Him not winning again next year would be a surprise. Yeah. Where he's yeah. at now. I mean, you know, honestly, you look at the combination of of team and talent and past success. I mean, you, you're looking for somebody – the one that's going to beat him is going to be consistent and he's going to have to go out and win four or five races. How many drivers can do both? Joseph Dugarden has proven he can win four or five races in a season, but he hadn't been consistent or they haven't had the consistent luck. So it's going to, there's a very, very short line of people and teams that are going to beat the 10 car next year. I mean, normally you wouldn't say that, you know, and you wonder if Dixon can beat him. I'm not sure Dixon can anymore. So that I was going to bring that up eventually. If you're Scott Dixon, and he won't say this publicly, but if I'm Scott Dixon, I am very sad that he's not moving on because one of the hardest things to do is to beat somebody really, really good in the same car that you have. That's what I think is one of the toughest things about being at Team Penske is you know there are two other really good drivers and they have the exact same equipment as you. In, in some ways, I think it's even more impressive when you are willpower and you win the championship there, or Joseph Newgarden that won the championship there and twice beat Simon Pagano and willpower. That's hard. If if Palo would have gone to McLaren, I think my picks for the championship next year would have been either Dixon or Newgarden. Yeah, I agree with you. I I don't think you would have. You certainly would not. You could not. You could not say Polo was going to repeat. Um, you you could say he might, but to your point, they haven't won a race all season, 
and and you're going to have to win races. You know, Power was kind of the exception to win just one race last year. But, you know, the the other point is, you know, you go back to Scott Dixon. He's won two races this year, two of the last three. He has only finished outside of the top seven in a race one time. That was at Long Beach when he got stuffed into the tires by Pato Award. That's the only race he hasn't been in the top seven, and he is 91 points behind Alex Pillow. That's how good Alex has been. So now the storyline, I think, becomes like the Jordan Bulls era or Schumacher in Formula One or Verstappen right now or name whatever dynasty you want. The Patriots, uh, the Boston Celtics in the 60s. Can anybody beat Pillow? And I think that will be fascinating because in IndyCar, no matter how dominant you are, you're not winning 10 races in a row. Five or six race wins is a dominant season. So that means two-thirds of the races are going to be won by somebody else. But can anyone beat him in the championship? And we like underdogs. And I think we might have 25 to 27 underdogs next year. I agree with you. I was just, as you were going down that line of thinking, I was thinking, isn't everyone not named Alex Pillow in the 10 car of Chip Ganassi Racing, an underdog? And I think they are. I, I just, I, I, he may put a beat down on him this weekend too, because the pressure is off. He, he'll and he, remember he the won dynamic with Joseph Newgarden because he is going to be very angry to hear anyone say that he's an underdog. And that is going to be on bulletin board material for him and for Scott Dixon. Remember that ever, ever say it. Alex Pillow won last year's race by more than 30 seconds at Laguna Seca. I mean, it's it really has. I mean, think about what happened at the Indy 500. At lap 92, I believe it was, so halfway through the race, we weren't lap three. We weren't like Montoya a few years ago when he, in on like lap one, was, was spun around. We were at the midpoint of the Indy 500 with exactly half the race to go, and Alex Pillow's car is stuffed against the inside wall, the pit exit, against another car. He has to come in and make another pit stop. Now, he's not torn up, but the car certainly has been struck, and he has to restart the race in 20, 28th, I believe. I think he was 28th at the restart, 28th to 4th. And if you'd have given him about 5 to 10 more laps, he'd have, he'd have dusted the other three guys in front of him. I'm convinced of it. Well, we like <laughs> seeing underdogs do well. Uh, that's a story for another time. And then... This time next year, what are the chances? They're still probably good as much as we think he is going to dominate. What are the chances that, boy, Alex Pillow, everything went wrong for him. Uh, he got caught out by an ill-timed yellow two different times. He got taken out twice. Uh, he had an engine failure in one race and then another race, and he had grid penalties and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I I'm still pretty optimistic. We'll have an entertaining championship. But it does make you wonder. It's also not out of the question. He'll be in the middle of another legal battle, and that will distract him. So it would be three in a row. Well, that's another you know the conversation that a lot of people are worried for Alex Pillow that you know how some of the guys that uh, have investment platforms that pay to get them to a top form of motorsport and they're then spending the first 10 years of their career paying that off. 
if this doesn't go well, that's what Alex is going to be doing. He's going to be driving to pay this. I, I've I have no idea um, of the particulars and how the number of twenty to thirty million that was uh, mentioned by the Indianapolis Star, but I, I believe that they saw some something or had someone that had seen something, and I, I'm sure that number is being thrown out there. I don't know how you, unless you paid him that much money. I don't know how you get that back. That to me sounds like you're saying, well, this Formula One test cost us $1.4 million. You're getting invoiced for that just like a customer driver would. I don't see how it works that way. You know, they probably have some recourse on getting any future earnings back. And I think you brought this up too. You know, maybe they're suing about sponsorship as well. If NTT went to them specifically to be partnered with Alex Pillow, and NTT goes away, then that could be an issue in there. But what was the original agreement? And what what rules were they breaking beyond that? And is a court going to care what that original agreement was that was being broken? I do not know. That, what uh, what your ultimate point is? a lot of money is, figuring this out. It'll be it'll be costly to Alex. Whatever happens, it's going to be expensive. And you know these drivers are not paid like Formula One drivers. So if he's making four million a year and he's he's still got to pay back eight to ten, it's still difficult. I mean, because you you know if you're making four million a year, you're not going to give that four right then. So when by the way that four million a year is what two and a half million? Yeah, over taxes. two million. Yeah, and you know you're going to spend minimum six figures on attorney fees before you even if you win. You're yeah. spending a good chunk of that. So I I am fascinated. He's made jokes about the book. And for his sake, I hope he's got it. I, I hope it works out for him. Uh, we'll see what we hear this weekend. I hear Zach Brown is coming. And I know Zach Brown likes to talk. So we'll find out what he has to say about this this weekend. And um, I don't think Alex wants to speak on it. Probably nor should he. He needs to let this be handled. And when it's all done depending on what the agreement is, whether he's allowed to speak, we may never know, but someone will. And we'll you need Zach. Something. You need Zach Brown in the pre-race show, just to even 30 seconds, 45 seconds. So I feel there's a strong chance of that happening. Even without that being discussed, I'm going to guess that Zach Brown will make an appearance on television on Sunday. Yep. That's just a guesstimate. If he's there. All right. Uh, so there's that we're going to get, Back to some other happenings within the race. We're going to talk about what else is coming up. Look ahead to Laguna Seca. Some of your Twitter questions, if you got them, at Kevin Lee 23 uh, Champions in the lower levels. Several crowned. One more to be decided this weekend in Indy Next. That's in pretty good shape for one driver. We'll get into all that and more coming up on Trackside. Hot. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Felix Rosenquist, and you're listening to Trackside. One more to go in 2023, and then we start to look ahead to next season. Thanks for staying with us. Kevin Lee, Kirk Cavan, Eddie Garrison. By the way... Um, I don't think we're seeing a schedule this weekend. Some years we do see one. Last I've heard, now maybe everything gets buttoned up, but something is is not done at this point. They, they may know a schedule. 
but they may not have signatures on everything. So I know before, you know, we've hoped to see an announcement. I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see what else we can learn. Uh, I'd love to know, you know, for example, when spring training will be. Uh, I will effort to see if we can get any kind of a date. If if I think thermal is happening again, but we'll see if we can get some confirmation on when that date might be. So if people, well, I would say, so if people want to make some plans, but no, I guess you don't need to, since that's probably going to be a private event again, but make some plans to follow along whatever platform has some coverage of that. But just for an idea, you know, and, and as much as we would love a full broadcast of everything, you can't always get that for test days. But I think IndyCar does a great job, and the teams do as well, of giving you a little bit, you know, of just giving you on boards or even if it's the the PR rep that's there using a camera phone. And then there are some, you know, video companies that come and do really high quality stuff. But just giving a little snippet of race cars, we like to see that, especially in the wintertime. And I'm hearing there's going to be a lot of testing this winter as we prepare for hybrid in 2024. Last test, last I heard, I'm hearing it's going well. There's still always a lot of bugs, and then the teams need to get their hands on them and understand how it works. But I have not seen this written down yet, but my best guess would be we're going to see more team test days over this winter. I think so, too. I haven't seen anything written down either. I've just kind of heard from drivers in passing, uh, make comments, uh, both in you know news gatherings and in you know tv stuff and so forth that uh yeah i think they're going to be in the car more and so that'll be good again you don't always get you know real reporting you can't usually have people on site for a lot of those tests but just know that they're happening and then when drivers are interviewed they've got the chance something to talk about so that'll keep us uh going until the first week of february which is when i would expect uh the thermal test to happen um but we still got a lot of news to cover. Uh, we know things are going to still happen. We probably got, I don't know, I haven't listed a count, but I bet there's still eight or nine seats that we still have to fill. So there's still a lot to be determined. We do that next. Let me go back to my list. Let me see if I still have it of what I predicted last week. What outlet, or what, what, what format did I put that down? I think it was on this. Um, okay, here were my bold predictions for next year some we already knew about uh, i predicted below in the 10 and we we did get chip ganassi to confirm that uh alex still i guess in the press conference wouldn't 100 confirm that but he did in the media bullpen mention on thursday uh saying he was looking forward to wor- working with linus lundquist nice so that's sort of a oops confirmation for next year i i don't see any other platform i i don't i have not heard of the any formula one opportunity i think this is probably best for alex he said i'll tell you at the end of the season so let's just stick with that and that also gives him some wiggle room depending on what that contract is kind of sounds like chip's pretty confident that contract is ironclad uh that he's not going anywhere uh for next year so we got that one uh was linus lundquist announced last week or has that happened since our last show yeah i believe it happened wednesday last wednesday it happened after our show it did so that was not a surprise we we knew we had learned that that was happening at that point um 
So I said last week that I expected, we talked about that. You almost talked me out of it two weeks ago about Malukas to McLaren. Because I thought at the time that's where he was going. And then you almost talked me out of that one. And thought, okay. But by last week, I went back to my original guns and hearing from some more people that he was headed to McLaren. That's still not confirmed. I cannot report that because I've not seen his signature. I had about nine people tell me <laughs> that I trust that it's done this weekend. One said they don't think it's done, but the other nine said yes, that it is done. And I think uh, uh, David Malukas will be in the McLaren 6 for next season. I said I think Marcus Armstrong will be in the 11 full season. Maybe we get that announced before the end of the weekend as well. And then for the 29, what I said was the fourth Andretti, maybe no one, or Eilat. So here's the first one I will amend a little bit. So I'm still correct on the maybe no one. And now we have Michael Andretti that I think it's the first time that he said that on the record. I've been hearing this, but NBCSports.com had a story with quotes from Michael basically saying, yeah, it might be three, it might be four. We need some more sponsorship for the fourth car. So if it runs... This is one of those that I'm going to come back to. Let's go to the others. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, 15. It's not confirmed yet, but it's Graham Ray Hall. He, he told me, and I think he's told some others, that you know, even if he was waffling at some point early in the year, he's not anymore. He wants to come back. They just haven't gotten around to signing it or doing it at this point. For the 30, I think it's Yuri Vips. I've gotten differing information. Several people have said it's done. They just haven't announced it yet. They're going to wait to announce it for next season. A couple of other people have said, no, I don't think that's 100%. So certainly Yuri Vips is the leader in the clubhouse on that one. And the other candidate that I thought would be there in the what would be Felix Rosenquist. He would have been one that would have been a candidate at one point. I know Linus Lundqvist was a strong candidate at one point. He's tested their car. He's been hanging around that team. So probably, but I can't guarantee that one. Uh, Meyer Shank. So I think the way I phrased it last week, that it's either Rosenquist or maybe Simon or maybe an outside chance at Ilot if he is indeed available. And that depends on who you ask, because I think there's – there are some clauses in the contract that, you know, I don't know if it's a kicker that activates it for the next season or if it's an option that one side or the other has. But there's a little bit of vagary on that front. Well, we now know it's Felix Rosenquist. And by the time I talked to, again, 10 different people uh, and all said by the time we got to the track on Thursday, yep, cross that one off your maybe list. So we knew that. And then the rest of the list. So I think I said with Dale Coin Racing, and I know some others have said they think that that's where Devlin DeFrancesco is going. I'm going to put that very much on the maybe list. There's enough people that I trust on all sides there that it, it might still happen, but it, it's far from done. I think for Devlin, who has budget, there are several options. I think the Foyt situation could be an option. I think Ed Carpenter could be an option. And was there 
you know, I those are the ones that make the most sense. Those three. I mean, I guess you can include the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan option until it's done, but could you probably in- not as likely there. Could you include Hunko's Hollinger? Yes, that's the other one. Yes, thank you. That that is the fourth. I was thinking there was a a fourth there. Here's another one that came up this weekend. So we never got to this, but there was uh, a story on Racer recently about IndyCar is revisiting the franchise system. I didn't. It came like on a race weekend. I I still haven't looked at it super closely, but it's something we've heard come up before that there are conversations with the owners about adding some value to a franchise like what NASCAR does, but their charter system, which by the way, is working out quite well for those that own one. They are selling it for a significant uh, profit. This allows the teams to have more than just the equipment for their investment that if they decide to get out of it, they could sell it for something. And there are some people that think, okay, this is coming or it might come. And then that might be the last chance to be in. So I've heard it mentioned that there are a few Chevy teams that are considering expanding by a car. I don't think all of them can do it because I don't see Chevy going up totally by more than one car. And I don't think any Chevy teams are thinking of decreasing in size. So just something just to keep an eye on. I have no idea. The only owner I spoke to about that was Ed Carpenter. And that's before I even heard this theory. And I just said, hey, any chance you do three? And he said, eh, maybe. But he it just didn't sound super likely. Ed, Ed thought it was probably still going to be two and him part-time. But, you know, it's been kicked around uh, adding a third and me part-time. Or maybe if you found the right scenario to do like they did before and have someone on road and street courses, him on the ovals. I mean, my opinion is that would benefit Ed because he'd have a full-time crew uh, he would have entrant points and would not always qualify last. Or, I'm sorry, first, being last in points. That's a huge disadvantage when at Texas and Iowa and Gateway, he is the first out when the track is the worst. He could have a pole car and probably qualify no better than 10th in those situations. Keep keep in mind, Errol McLaren is talking about a fourth. So that's probably expansion. And that could still be partnering with someone i heard that mentioned a lot with hunko's hollinger and this is again goes back to the uncertainty with callum Eilat. he could be a mclaren driver next year but he could still be under sort of but he could still be under contract with hunko's hollinger i think that would benefit a lot of parties there hey let's let's be honest every everyone tells me and i think it's pretty obvious to see mclaren needs billboard space <laughs> they have this is how motorsports seems to be going. It's going decently, in, in the, at least it is for them. They don't have enough space to put all their logos. They have too many sponsors. They need another car. I think they would have done it if they would have shop space. So that could be a way to do it. And it would be beneficial to Hunko's Hollinger as well. It would help the Chevy teams. Being a two-car team is really, really difficult. So that could be a scenario where... Maybe Hunkos expands to three, but Ilot is more of a McLaren driver, and they add somebody. I don't know, but the, you know that could be Devlin D. Francesco could come in with some budget there. Stingray Rob could come in with some budget there. There are some scenarios in in that front. Uh, Ed 
Carpenter told me, I don't expect us to decide on the 20 until after the season. Want to talk to Ryan Hunter right first, see what he thinks. I think Ryan's going to have some suggestions. They're all learning and they're going to, you know, make some decisions about how do we get this program where we need it to be uh, at, at this juncture. Dale Coyne said, we've got a lot of good options. I asked him about Grosjean, uh, and I said, you know, he did pretty well with you. And he said, yeah, a lot of people are reminding me of that. Um, so he said, yep, he's an option, as are a lot of other people. I think Stingray is an option to stay there. You know, I've wondered I've wondered if maybe a Jack Harvey, if, if Jack Harvey is going to find a way back in, that might be a place for him. With the Foyt team, there have been there has been speculation that maybe the Peterson budget, they want to go somewhere else. So all I can do is ask the people involved. I asked Benjamin Peterson, are you 100% in where you're at next year? And he said, yep. I asked Larry Foyt, is the 55 car settled for next season? Is it Benjamin Peterson? And he said, yes. 14 is still TBD. Now, as we know, things can change. There could be a mutual agreement to move on. But, yeah, there's a contract there involved, and it's probably going to take both parties to agree to not continue with that that contract. And uh, somewhere in the dynamic that comes involved, how does that play into it? Could Foyt expand? Uh, they Money helps you go fast. So it's not just about going out and hiring someone, but, you know, you want to keep that in consideration as well. And somewhere in the conversation is Christian Rasmussen, the Indy Lights or Indy Next by Firestone champion. Maybe not in a full season ride. Maybe it's a watch as Linus Lundquist did. But somewhere in the conversation, Rasmussen, assuming he wins the championship, which we can talk about next segment, somewhere he's going to factor into the conversation. So I would think Ed Carpenter would be someone that could potentially be interested. And there's a scenario where... um Maybe sharing a car makes sense for someone that doesn't have full budget. Hunter McElray is in the same circumstance. So I, I spoke with Hunter and I said, is there any scenario where you come back to Indy next again if you don't win the championship? And he said, no. You know, we've done all we can here. We think we have some budget to help with IndyCar. Right now, we do not have full budget for a season. What he, I think he told me this, or maybe it was uh, Christian. I think it was Hunter. He said, I have been pleasantly surprised that I've talked to multiple team owners that have not said, call me when you have $5 million. They have all said, okay, we're interested. We think that we can, that we have sponsorship, that we're going to be able to, if not fully outright hire, not ask for the full money for this. So there's some some optimism on that front from that regard. Um, Nolan Siegel, I did not see this weekend to see what he's thinking. is If he's thinking of moving up, you know, he was more so when he was leading the championship. I'll find out. Need to find out about Kiffin Simpson. Um, would Ganassi think about running five cars? Kiffin Simpson is linked to Ridgeline with his father, and that is a major, major partner of Chip Ganassi Racing. And if Kiffin Simpson's father says, my son is driving an Indy car for you next year, then they may have to find room for him. So I think that is going to be up to them to decide what they want to do. And with that, I think that's too extreme. Uh, I, I'm sure that they will listen to my call and Chip Ganassi and be counseled. And by the way, they might come to the realization or come to the conclusion, you know what? 
you will learn more by being with us in our car. And you may take your lumps, but you will learn more and be quicker to run up front by taking your lumps as an IndyCar rookie than you will be doing another season in Indy Next, even if you win the championship. He's done two seasons. He's done a lot of other high-level racing uh, and finished well. He's won races. He's been on the podium. Big events in America and abroad. So I would not rule that out, him moving up, even though he is just about to turn 19 years old. And Daniel Frost is one that at one point was linked with Dale Coyne, tested well with them. I'm sure he's on the list, but I, I don't hear that that's like a, a no-brainer. You know, I think Connor's name is going to come up in some conversations. And then what I'm not getting into a whole lot is I guarantee there are going to be two or three European names out there. And probably one is going to end up here. You know, pick your best from the F2 world that has decided I'm tired of wearing a golf shirt, sitting on the stand and saying I'm a test driver to, to run in the simulator and get in the car one time a year. I want to do what Christian Lungard and Callum Eilat are doing. And I want to go to America and have a chance to win races. And yep. get paid. And Yuri Vips. And Yuri Vips is the latest to have a chance to do that at this circumstance. So uh, I'm going back to the Andretti. I don't know who would make the best sense there. That's where I think probably one of those European drivers would potentially come into play. Somebody that's good. That brings a little bit of budget. Um, you know, I know it's been said we want to just hire people. But if you can find somebody good that helps you with the bottom line, all the better. All right. We'll get into uh, what's coming up in hour number two next on Trackside. How this is called. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Quick segment here to catch up. Couple of tweets. Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, is there really a big four in IndyCar? Pelot and Dixon scored more points than the whole McLaren team, 11.45 to 11.21. Pelot and Dixon scored more than the whole Andretti team. That's the points through Portland. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, we kind of thought we were up to a big four, um, but that is a good debate and a topic to move into next season. Paul asks, where is Calamila going in 24? I touched on that a little bit. My best guess is he's in the 77 car. Does it have some McLaren branding on it? That is something I don't know, but my guess is he's still associated with Hunko's Hollinger Racing next season. Hour number two, more of this kind of conversation. More on Portland. We'll get into the uh, confirmations and firm news we had released today and more coming up on Trackside. This is Alec. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's below and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, thank you for staying with us as we set for the season finale coming up at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca here on the radio on Sunday afternoon. What time do the Colts play? <laughs> when do the Colts play? I am so out of touch. I am tunnel vision on the job and the task at Ann. I love football. I love other sports. I will start watching them again in three weeks. They're a one o'clock start this week at home. So you probably will not be hearing a race on this radio station. I'm guessing maybe 93 WIBC. I believe this radio station airs Colts games. So, 
you'll find it. You're savvy listeners. It's on uh, IndyCar.com, on the mobile app, and NBC has your coverage. 2.30 Eastern time coming up with about a 3.25 Eastern time green flag. That is a, uh, what, 12.25 Pacific time from beautiful Monterey, California. Yeah, it'll be fun. It's it's sad in some respects to see the season end. And I say in some respects because we know the challenges. We know the challenges of trying to operate in a in an NFL sports world. Um you, you just I'd love to see us continue. Um I'd love us to be still racing in mid October. I also know the challenges involved and we don't we don't have this sport without sponsors. And if the sponsors and their patrons are distracted by another sporting event, you got to think around that. So we'll do the best we can. By the way, I saw Adam Stern right today citing Mark Miles. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but something along the lines of the Milwaukee Mile is very likely. Did, did I cite that correctly? Maybe I can pull that up to get the exact. Here it is. Yes. Milwaukee Mile is very likely to be added to the 2024 schedule per Mark Miles. He declined to confirm the widely held expectation that NASCAR will switch back to competing on the IMS Oval next year. Um, yeah, that's sort of somebody else's department. I mean, I'm sure Mark knows what's going on, but right. He's going to let. Well, no, he's Pinsky Entertainment. I guess. He well, does. it's it's really know what's going on. It's NAS- NASCAR yeah, schedule. NASCAR make that that call, that announcements. Yeah, NASCAR will make its announcement and its dates and its you know and in conjunction the the participating tracks will join in and amplify and and sell their message uh, accordingly. But yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. It feels it feels like that's where the momentum is. It feels you know we talked about on this show the you know the campaign that that started right after uh, this year's NASCAR race at the Speedway about. You know, it was cryptic, and I don't know if we're reading too much into it or or we should be or shouldn't be, but it certainly uh, gave you the impression that that's what was going to happen. No, we should be. And I, I thought that was well done. No, I th- Everyone I think- just said, we're going to let our fans know without outright saying it, what to expect. Because it's, you know, let's be honest, it's hard to sell tickets when you don't know what it is. Yeah. How, how do you sell tickets if the difference is... A road course race going one way to an oval going the other way. You're not buying them. So you've got to allow them to hint, hint, wink, wink. There's been enough out there, and it's not from IMS. Goodyear's the one who first said, yeah, we're doing a tire test the very next day after the race. Um, so, yeah, we, we it's one of those, again, I can't report it. I've not seen the signatures, but there's enough noise out there that I think we feel, oh, about 98% sure. So that means... I'm telling you, there is a chance, but 98% sure the Brickyard is going to be on the Oval next season. And then probably IndyCar is not involved that weekend. I suppose they could get really creative and do something. But since it is, quote, very likely there is a new event to add, and I don't think any are falling off the schedule, that would make the most sense. Schedule becomes a little more challenging because you've got the Olympic window uh, in the summertime that you might prefer to avoid because you're not going to be on NBC and you're not going to be on USA. I don't think it's going to be tough to be on television. So if you want to do your Peacock exclusive during the Olympics, you could certainly do that and they might do that. So what would that be? 
and then a, a place for Laguna Seca. I haven't asked anybody in a while. So what I have is old information. But the last I heard after first hearing March was probably June, but I don't know. And what I also know is that June is really crowded. And they really need to have a week off, at least a week off at some point in June, because after Detroit, it has been a grind. And by the way, that was a common refrain, not complaining, but the mechanics are worn out that it has been tough with a lot going on in the summer. And, you know, even on some weeks off, you're doing some testing. So it's just, it's not like NASCAR. There's not. Yes, there are people that are shop-based, but the people on the road are working in the shop during the week as well, and it is hard. They're all in it because they want to do it, but everybody still likes to go home and relax every once in a while. So uh, from that standpoint, I think everybody will be happy for a little break. I hope they get it. I hope that there's not immediate testing and everybody can do a little bit of a reset in the offseason. And here I'll remind everybody, and I'll keep hitting this, We'd like a longer IndyCar season. It ends next week. But the next best thing is coming, if you're listening in Indianapolis to our backyard, coming up the following week with uh, the Battle of the Bricks, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and some names that you know that you've seen in IndyCar racing in the top class. These GTP cars are cool. This is the the top level. It's the first year of that. They have a hybrid component. It's kind of cool to listen to them speed away on the pit lane silently for a few seconds and they have better torque and they get up to the full pit speed limit of 45 miles per hour almost instantly like that and then they fire up as they, they're on the pit lane um you've got a lot of indy what well, every indy car team is involved right I mean, almost about. all of the top class is filled with indy car teams especially when you consider andretti is now a part of wayne taylor racing you've got penske penske porsches Newgarden is not doing this race, but he is doing Petit Le Mans, as is Scott McLaughlin, his extra drivers there. And in LMP2, Newgarden is with uh, uh, the Penske Porsche. He did confirm to me that he has driven it. He drove it here, and he drove it at Petit Le Mans as well. Uh, Ray Hall, BMW, um, Meyer Shank Racing, and that's still one of their silly season questions, is they don't have a program yet. For next season. I didn't ask Mike this weekend where it stands. I'll wait until we get to IMSA weekend. But, you know, the expectation is that they are not going to be with Acura next year. So can they become a customer slash partially supported manufacturer with somebody else? TBD. I think the last he said was it's 50-50 at this point. So Ganassi. Master Sullivan is there. Ganassi with the Cadillac program. Yeah. Uh, so that's all going on. And then Robert Wickens is part of the Michelin Pilot Challenge race that will race on Saturday night. What is this? The 18th? The Sunday's the 18th? 15, 16, 17. September. 15, 16, 17. So 16th is the Saturday night, and the pilot race will finish dark. That's right. That's a four-hour race that starts at either 4 or 5 o'clock, but it will be dark by the time... They finish, so that will and, be cool. We'll talk a lot about that in the week before, and not just not just teams, but you got Sebastian Bourdais, you got Tom Blumquist, uh, yep. you know, you've got some other some other guys. Obviously, the Taylors, Jack and, Hawksworth, and Jack Hawksworth, and and Ben Hanley, and Bro- and Colin Brown, and you know, you're gonna have, and then the Porsche guys are are really cool, and and 
you know, and I mentioned this a few weeks back, but I was reminded being at the test just how different, you know, the, the engine sound, you know, we, we've kind of gotten used to, there's not a great similarity. You can't, you can't close your eyes and tell a, a Chevy from a Honda most of the time at an IndyCar race, but you can certainly tell the difference at a sports car race if they're out there singularly. If you like to meet drivers, if you like to get your race weekend started, we've got an event for you coming up. Uh, the dates change a few times. This time we're doing it with the IMSA weekend. So at Prime 47 downtown, the battle and the bricks prelude, we've done supporting uh, Dr. Chernoff's Survivors of Violence Foundation. So this helps, in some cases, battered women who have a horrible reminder of the violence that they were victim to. And Dr. Chernoff donates his services so they don't have to look in the mirror anymore and see uh, the results of their domestic violence. So we raise money for that. So this is, I, I think, pretty cool. And I'm still working with Kyle Kirkwood on how we're going to do this because I feel guilty because it's kind of his. But Cape Motorsports gave me the chassis, the tub that he and Oliver Askew had and then either Jackson, my son, or Jagger Jones had it uh, for their very first test with Cape Motorsports, and then those cars became obsolete. But it's the tub that he and Oliver won the championship with. We are auctioning that off. So that could be used for a simulator cockpit. And then here, Brian Hurd actually gave me this idea. So we're thinking about that. And then, all right, how many people? What's the market? What's the audience? How many people are bidding on this? I'm not letting this go for 300 bucks. You know, this has got to be a couple thousand dollars plus, if not more. This is a race car with uh, the side pods and everything. Brian suggested you should cut it in half. And it's a hard sell to your significant others putting a race car tub in, in your front room. But you cut it in half. You can do it twice. And you can hang it on the wall as decoration. So I'm thinking about that. So I've offered to give Kyle, because I, I feel bad that, because he, he I said, hey, can you sign this? And he said, yeah, sure. And then it's, hmm, I might just buy that. And then I feel bad asking Kyle to buy it, but I, I think he would for the charity. But what I, I'm thinking, of, so I'm, I'm going to get his permission, is one, are you okay cutting up your race car? Because <laughs> he might say, no, no, I don't want this thing cut in half. Uh, we want it the same as it is but if he wants to do that then we're going to give him a half and then we'll auction off the other half and then you know kyle will will come and sign it and maybe we'll do a dinner we'll do something else so that's one of the fun things that we have we have uh to auction off the lucas oil school of racing gift certificate that goes for 4500 bucks to go down and do two days in a formula car and and have fun with that um I know that um, some of the other partners involved, like Brent Cox from uh, CGCPAs, has come up with several really good items as well. And I found I have a Pato Award signed McLaren jersey, a Pato Award hat. Uh, what else over here? Uh, oh, the, the prints that we had at the Burger Bash. I have the Marcus Erickson signed print. I have a Scott McLaughlin signed canvas print i have a signed poster by Pato and by colton and i know we have some other things like danica patrick's has donated some wine i think we might have a bottle of pappy uh, a lot of cool stuff so 
I'll tweet out the link again. I've done that before. I know where you can find it if you're not a Twitter person. Jackson wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago at jacksonleeracing.com. Chernoff Cosmetic Surgery is a, a partner of his. And there is a link on there to buy tickets. I think they're 125 bucks, and it's free Prime 47 food. It's not a sit-down dinner. It's a stand-up. It's a party. Clayton Anderson is going to play. Uh, free drinks from some of their partners and then an open bar or a, I'm sorry, a cash bar if you don't like what we're offering for free. Uh, but I think you'll find plenty that you have there. So that is the Thursday of IMSA race weekend, September 14th. I'll be there helping to host as well. And we'll have uh, a lot of drivers that will be stopping by. I'm hoping some of the IndyCar drivers come back. I think some will. And then we'll get some of the sports car drivers too and some of the Indy Next drivers and so on and so forth. So should be fun. Yeah, good planning. Good planning on your part. And, you know, I, I'm hung up on the idea that this is Kyle's car. You know, how is it on Oliver's car? He drove it to a championship as well. How is it? Yeah, it's a good how is point. it Kyle's car? That's a good point. Yeah, if you're going to yeah. want some love from Oliver Askew, you may have to cut yeah, that. Yeah, I, I texted and- him to see because he, he can't come and he's not going to be in town. So I, I don't I don't think I can cut this up. In thirds? Three ways. <laughs> yeah. So what am I going to do with that? You might not tell Oliver that Kyle's getting half the car. I did tell. Well, I, I so originally the idea was we're just selling the whole thing. Well, you signed it. And he said, yeah, sure. Next time I'm in town, we'll, we'll get that worked out. All right. I got to call the Cape, see if they got any spare race cars. <laughs> <around>. <laughs> Maybe he gets the wing. Can we get a wing together? And you know what? I think Oliver won the championship first, didn't he? Uh, yes yes he came before now kyle is on salary right now he's more likely to be wanting to make the big donation (laughs) we got to get oliver a job i've heard his name mentioned a couple of times i'm hoping we see him back with us uh yeah so by the way the battle of the bricks prelude is uh is is brought to you in part by caster easton uh, Chernoff Cosmetic Surgery and Forecheck Marking LLC. Come and see us on Thursday, September the 14th from 6 until whenever, at least until 9 o'clock. All right, I mentioned Andretti a little bit ago. They've rebranded. It's not Andretti Autosport after next weekend. So we heard about you know and Andretti Global as it related to the Formula One pursuit. And, you know, I just wondered at, at the time, I just thought, you know, do they – you got two different brand names and I know one's essentially the parent company of Andretti Autosport. Does does it just kind of at some point become Andretti Global? Well, that's what they've done. So across all their platforms, motorsports wise, and I suppose otherwise, everything they do will soon, not yet, but soon be known as Andretti Global. This weekend for the rest of, of this IndyCar 2023 season, which is just one more race, they will be Andretti Autosport. But after that, free and clear, Andretti Global. And, you know, it has a lot to do with the GameBridge Association and and uh, and and all the partners they've put together for the Formula One pursuit. It kind of drove the decision by Michael uh, to do this. And so Andretti Global from now on. I am fascinated to learn what we see coming from them. Uh, as they continue to be involved in every motorsport series that there is available. Okay, so we touched on this very briefly when, or the race. We're going to get back to the race at Portland again in a little bit. But the other news of the day is we we did get a confirmation that became pretty common knowledge for everyone in the paddock. No one was refuting it. 
but I think we all kind of just, you know, I still wrestle with when you know something, do you say it? And I think my feeling and everybody else's was, well, let's just kind of hint at it and say we think it's going to happen and let the team do it on their own time. And I suspect they also wanted to announce based on Swedish time. You know, that's why you saw that release come out this morning at whatever, eight or nine in the morning, because they don't want it coming out at 11 p.m. Sweden time. Felix Rosenquist today confirmed for the Meyer Shank Racing 60. Before we speak to Felix, obviously, you know, you're thinking of Simon Pagenaud again. And it's it's very possible that this decision was pretty much made even before Simon got hurt. So before we say how heartless is this to fire the guy when he's not able, I first started hearing in May that it is very likely to be a full reset for that team in 2024. So this is not something that came about because he didn't have a chance to finish the season. He might have been able to save his seat, uh, and unfortunately he didn't get a chance to do it. You know, all we have to do is go back to, you know, replays of this show and recordings to say that, to show that we were talking about this in, in May as a possibility. And usually when we're talking about things as a possibility, they're already down the road with such things. You know, we don't, we're not so smart that we just come up with these things and then in a vacuum and, and, uh, and then they become, you know, real later. We hear yeah, we're not a big fan of we're not a fan of talking about who's going to lose their job at all. No, that that happens very reluctantly. And if it's mentioned, it's because there's uh, a lot of real conversation about that. That's right. That's that's what I'm trying to get to. And you've you've put it very well. So we didn't just grasp that out of thin air. And, you know, you're hoping against hope that that I mean, we, you know, we love Elio Castroneves and, and Simon Pagino. They've been great champions. They've been great Indianapolis 500 winners. They've been you know, really good friends for for both of us. Uh, they have been accommodating. They're such they're such good people person. I mean, people often ask me and I'm sure they do you about athletes. And, you know, is this guy everything we think he is? Those two guys yep. are. Those two guys are class acts. Uh, you can see why they're Team Penske material, both on the track and off. And uh, we have, I mean, it's painful for us. And I know a lot of fans, too, because I've seen a lot of messages about about Simon in the last few days. And and to a lesser extent, Elio, you know, I think Elio is perceived as being, okay, if he's just an Indy 500 driver at this point in his IndyCar career, we get that. We kind of accept that. It's a little tougher to you know, especially with Simon getting hurt at, at mid Ohio, that you have kind of a different sensation in your gut about that one. But uh, I understand it. And, you know, I under, also understand that, that uh, uh, Jim Meyer and, and Michael Shank feel like they need a reset. And hopefully the, the two guys they've chosen uh, to help lead the program will be good for them. Elio seems very, very content. Actually, Super excited, not just at the press conference, but a lot of agreed. A lot of chats agreed. with Elio this weekend. He is all in about the next phase to the point that I think he's probably going to bug Jim and, and Mike quite a bit uh, about being a, a partner in this venture. But he's forty seven, and and while physically, if, if he was in a Penske car, yeah, I bet he'd still be in the top seven in the championship and would have won a race this year or come close to winning a race this year. But he's not. You know, they've been struggling. 
and he still gets to be in the Indy 500. And if they get a sports car program together, I would think he'd be an endurance driver in that. And if they don't, I would think there's a good chance he's an endurance driver for somebody else next year. And this time around, it was uncertainty, and they didn't really want to talk about it. We kind of knew it, but we couldn't say goodbye to Elio. And one reason we couldn't say goodbye to Elio as a full-time driver is because he wasn't willing to give up on being a full-time driver. Now he can go into these final few races and say, all right, this is the last time, unless I'm you know a late-minute fill-in for somebody, last time I'm doing something other than the Indy 500, so let's enjoy it while we have it. And he's actually had some pretty decent runs here, all things considered, for them here recently. So I want to see him do well this weekend. You know, I've said before, but I think I I may have been able to, you know, put it put it in words the best right here is the biggest surprise when I came to IndyCar after being a journalist was getting to see Elio as essentially a teammate. You know, when you join IndyCar, you're part of the series. You know, I mean, I know that goes without saying, but it's a situation when you're a journalist, you're around the series, but you're not really a part of the series. You're you're like orbiting around, you know, the earth here a little bit. You're 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 trying to be as close to the inner circle as you can, but you're not in the inner circle. And when I got to IndyCar, Elio's commitment to finding ways to help the sport grow, to find new ideas, blew me away. I thought I didn't he was he was not the first four or five people that I would have thought would have been that kind of ombudsman for the sport but he really has been a great ambassador. I think sometimes you also find that when you are working for the company, they understand that they're not trying to kiss up to you as much anymore. They already got you. You're on the payroll. When you're with the Indianapolis star, there still could potentially be some acting that, uh, this is somebody I need to be nice to. Well, when you're working for their team, they can let their guard down a little bit and be more honest. And I'm sure what you learned is, oh, that Elio that you see publicly is the Elio privately. He's better. He's actually better. <laughs> yeah. He's actually better. I mean, I, 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 I've often thought, is that really an act? But I actually got I, the very first day on the job. I mean, he, we sat and had dinner together, and we must have talked for an hour straight. And just about life and people and the sport and how can we make it better and what can I do and how can I help and on down. And it was it, I came away just so impressed. And and every every chance with Elio Simpson has been like that. And Simon's the same way. Same Simon is very much a, a committed guy as well. Uh, you know, he his his song sings a little bit differently than Elio's does. But Simon's Simon's good people, too. So here's what we are hoping for Simon. As he said in his statement today, he's still focusing on his recovery. So he's not cleared yet. So we want to see him first cleared. And if and when that happens, and if he chooses to drive again, he will drive again. He, at minimum, would be number one on the list, I would think, to do the Indy 500 next year. And... Even if it takes longer than we all hope and all the seats are gone, because unfortunately people aren't going to wait. Uh, if if I'm Simon, I'm putting together the best sports car situation I can next year, whether it be endurance or otherwise running the Indy 500 and then seeing what's out there for 2025. 
And even if he doesn't drive full-time in IndyCar next year, if he wants to, uh, then I could see him coming back for a full-time run in, in 2025. If he's not full time in 24. So best to Simon Pagano. We love him. And we look forward to hearing some positive news on that front. Now back to Rosenquist. It didn't work out the way it was hoped when he goes to Aaron McLaren. He took a gamble. Uh, he had a chance to stay at Chip Ganassi. And I'm sure he wonders, because remember, the car that he left has won the championship two of the last three years. So, yeah, that's difficult. I... He's going into a situation that has not gone well the last two years. They've been worse off than the McLaren seat, but he's going to have the chance to lead this program. He's not driving what they put out there for him. I suspect at McLaren, there's something to that. And I think McLaren, it's, they're fantastic, but there are a lot of layers there. You know, the engineers come up with an idea here and it's got to be run across to the Formula One shop in the UK and their engineers and come back. And it, it probably takes a little while to get some things done. At Meyer Shank, yes, you're working with, with Andretti Global and Andretti Technologies, but it's probably a little more what he's used to. And he is going to be in charge of helping Tom Blumquist. So Felix Rosenquist, I think, has a very good chance to have a bounce back season next year. Yeah, I think so, too. And I certainly hope so. There's another one. Talk about good people in the paddock. They don't get much better than Felix Rosenquist. He's he's always available. Um, you know, he he's he's really good people. And and, uh, you know, I think it for him, not only is it a chance to lead the program, it's a chance to know know that he's wanted. And And again, it's not that it's not that Zach Brown, you know, he posted a photo of hugging Felix and and it was a classy tweet by by Zach. And I know everyone there loves him and and Pato certainly does. And, you know, he's wanted, but but contractually is wanted if they can't get the guy they really want. Exactly. And yeah. so they, they like him to a point and, you know, it's just nice to be wanted. It's nice to be pursued. He's had a chance over the last few months to hear from a lot of different teams a lot of different people talk about how much they would like to have him on their team. And then it just comes down to which one is the right fit. I don't know if Meyer Shank Racing will deliver the kind of car that Felix uh, would like to have, and we'd all like to have Felix in, but at least he knows that he's wanted there, and for the next few years, this will be his home. Yep, good for him. So that's um, exciting stuff. That's one that we take off the maybe list. Maybe we get a couple of more. Before we get to next weekend, and then we'll see what we can learn in the next weekend about, you know, I, th I think there are like four um, really open seats. I think when I mentioned the, um, you know, the Grosjean story over the weekend from NBCSports.com, Bruce Martin was the first time that Grosjean had confirmed that he wasn't coming back. We all assumed it. We all knew it. But there was still technically an open seat at Andretti. Uh, and what Grosjean had said to me, and I'm sure others, was, you know, I'll let you know soon. Basically, I, yeah, I know what I'm, I know what's going on, and it could be a Lamborghini full-time sports car situation, or there are still some options on the IndyCar side. I think, I think Ed Carpenter Racing could be an option for him there, and I say this from this standpoint: they have most likely. A big nine, a big name partner in Bit Nile. 
uh, which I don't know if that's confirmed or not next year, but I, I think it's looking pretty good for them to continue. And I hope so from Ed's standpoint. Might they want a big-name driver who gets a lot of attention in that car? That might be something that makes sense for all parties. So that's one of the scenarios along with Dale Coyne racing that I could see making sense. There could be, there's a sponsor right there that might say, yep, of all the people you've given me a chance at. And and by the way, I threw out this last week that I had been hearing a lot about David Malukas headed to Ed Carpenter racing. And I do think they were very, very close, but I have people telling me they did not sign because I kind of half jokingly said, might we have another team that goes after a driver for breaking an agreement? But they did not sign anything from what I'm told. So there's going to be nothing to, to come of that. And, you know, Ed, Ed is if indeed that's where it was headed, um, he's not going to stand in front of a driver who has a chance to probably get paid a little bit more at, at Arrow McLaren. But that that is one that I think I would keep an eye on. Agreed. I'm still a little surprised if you would have started this uh, process months ago, and we did. Uh, if you'd have said Malukas to the six, I'm not sure I could have come up with that one. So that'll be no. But you know what we we thought he'd be somebody in play, maybe for Ganassi. So if you're someone that Ganassi could be interested in, agreed. And he'll be great on those social media videos. And Alexander Rossi is going to be really tired of his uh, of is outgoing nature right although he he, he does fine with pato so i there's nobody more uh outgoing than pato so i guess i guess fine. I, I don't, it isn't um, it isn't malukas that i questioned having the ride it's that zach brown and the mclaren european approach wouldn't have seen might have seen someone else better suited ah. for them than malukas well, maybe that's telling us that we won't see someone coming over that, you know, the ones that people really want either have no budget, which isn't really a concern for McLaren, or are not ready to commit at this point to doing a full-time season in IndyCar uh, and and want to consider pursuing the Formula One path. Um, oh, the, the, the way I wrote it down over the weekend, you know, I said there are a lot of things that we now are pretty certain that are happening. I see at least four other seats that are wide open and not confirmed at this point. There are some others that are not technically confirmed, but it's the two at Dale Coyne Racing, one at Ed Carpenter Racing, and one at Foyt. Those are the ones that are definitely open. You know, maybe the Ray Hall is in there. If it's not Yuri Vips, maybe somebody under contract is allowed out of their contract and moves on, but there's at least four that are still open. And then you could go another way. We haven't seen a confirmation on the eleven. At this point, but it seems like Armstrong is likely to stay there. So that's where that stands. Back to the race and some other things and tweets, too, coming up on Trackside. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. Trackside, 93.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. All right, let's um let's let's get back to the box score, Kurt. From Sunday afternoon at Portland International Raceway in the BitNile.com Grand Prix. We've talked really, what, just about the top two? <laughs> and, then, and then the people who started in the top two. I guess in some 
respects, we talked about Dixon. And maybe we speak on what Duck Dixon was talking about on the radio, and I think commented after the race. And I still don't know what the right answer is. Um, I get why Dixon was annoyed because it does impact things. So here's what happened. Rosenquist was the last that had not stopped. Calamilot, no, Augustine Canapino, right? Went off. Correct. Caused a yellow. And this is not new. So I don't think we can get angry with IndyCar if your driver was disadvantaged. Because this is the way it's been done all season on road courses. If it doesn't look like that, and this is a gray area, but first, if the driver is not hurt, uh, then we don't have to throw a yellow. And then if the driver is not in peril, and that could always be debated because it was mentioned that, oh, you're in an area where a car could easily slide into you. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right. Um, but they've generally done it this way to allow everyone one time to piss pass through the pits. And if you miss that. Say that you, twice. Yeah, you don't <laughs> get your chance. So that happens. So that saves his race. But this is, I think, what annoyed Dixon and some others more is that he was going to slide back at least behind Dixon, if not more. But because then he has to race them on cold tires exiting the pits. But then as soon as he finishes the pit stop, the yellow comes out, which slows everyone else down, which allows him to get back out and come back out in second instead of third or even further back. Well, you know, in this situation, I understand the consistency. What what caused this situation is Rosenquist was the last car to do it. So therefore, when he comes out of the pit road, he doesn't have to, as you say, race on cold tires. And that would have would have changed the running order. Theoretically, that Dixon would have passed him, you know, with hot tires. Um, It's a tough thing. You know, it's a. I understand again. I think everybody understands that, you know, the randomness of a caution, um, certainly can can ruin somebody's race if they throw the caution right away. And on an oval, on an oval, you have to. That's why we talk about the danger zone, because when the pit window opens, you better pit. Because if you don't pit, and there's a there's an accident or a caution, you know, you have your races, especially on an oval. You're in bad shape, so I get why they why they try to leave it leave it open for everybody to get one more ch- chance to pit. But what Dixon is saying is that something I always come back to from Brian Barnhart's tenure. It's it's those unintended consequences. You know, it's nice that Rosenquist got to pit, but the unintended consequence is he didn't have to race Dixon on cold tires. So I don't know how you solve it. It's probably best if they do what they've been doing, but it does it does create some problems. Because if you wait another 45 seconds, that's just another 45 seconds you've got a car sitting out there, and then you may have to race past the crash scene. And I assume that was a locally, and that's probably back to the thinking, was this uh, like the turn 9, 10 area? I don't, I don't yes. even know where it was at on the track. I think so. so. But if you're really going to let them race on the outlap, that's where you need to let them race to. Maybe not the full lap, but you got to go all the way to there. And if you're going to have to throw the yellow before they get to there, 
then they're not going to have a chance to get by him anyway. So I, I, I guess it's done at that point. Um, you know, I've, I've seen it said that, well, it's either a yellow, it's not a yellow. That's eh, not totally true. Um, because at some point you had to get that car out of there. You can't leave it there for the rest of the race. So at some point you're going to have to throw a yellow. The drivers, many, not all, complained when they closed the pits immediately. So this was the other side of that. Okay, we'll try not to ruin someone's race Well, in that you know, circumstance. And- I think they'll have a debate. Again, they could may just take a vote and say, hey, every time there's going to be a yellow, do you want us to immediately throw it? No matter who is pitted, where you're at, you could be three seconds from the commit line. And sorry, your race is over. But then there will be no debate. There will be no gray area. And we can do that if you want to. I think this situation was only created because Rosenquist was the last car to pit. Had he been the first car to take advantage of pitting, then he would have had to come out turn one and gone strong on those cold tires. He'd at least had a couple, three or four corners for Dixon to pass him if he could have, while the rest of the those behind him were pitting but he was the last car. Does that make sense? Yeah, but they've done it the same way. As no, I know they've the done it the same way. has started, they've given people, but yeah, there's more complaining when it's just one, one well, person. Well, what I mean you is... Know, can, can you leave the pits open? Can, I don't know. I, I think it's really hard to figure out the order, and then you get worried about uh, you want safety equipment coming in. I think you want to and, close the pits, but... Yeah, that's the people that are have really done more research than we have on this uh, have decided that. So I'm going to trust them on that fact. They've decided, yeah, that's not a safe option. I agree. Uh, you know, it just it just worked out for for Dixon wrong in this case, and and we've seen it a couple times before. I can remember Rossi talking about it. You know, hey, the the guy was racing didn't have to you know didn't have to go out on his outlap at speed on cold tires like I did, but. You know, I think in the long run, this is the way to do things. And then there is the Alex Pillow, um reaction to things. You know, so as we looked at that, it's, uh-oh, Felix Rosenquist is now right behind him, and he's on the better tire, at least for a couple of laps. And Pillow was told this twice, and there's none of this, oh, that's terrible, That that's not fair. It's copy. <laughs> it. it it sounded, I listened to only his scanner most of the race instead of scanning. It sounds like he's on the couch having a chat watching the game. When he's in the breaking zone responding to things, he is so in control. He really is. It's, um, I I just can't, you know, I know the, the last two years with the legal issues have been, have been, um, humiliating in some respects i'm sure to him and and those around him and not the way they wanted him to go and it's he's taken a public beating in some arenas but that dude is a race car driver through and through and he is as elite as we've seen on so many levels i can't think of many times where he's raised his voice to you to us to the fans to the competitors where has he lost his cool? Maybe at mid-Ohio, he raised it a decibel complaining about a, a lap traffic or something. <laughs> I, I mean, it's so that's rare. about 
it. And that's more of, and, and by the way, they should all be like that under normal circumstances. Your heartbeat is whatever, 160, 180. You're wrestling a, a car without power steering 180 miles per hour. I would assume you were going to sound out of breath. But he doesn't. Scott Dixon normally does, and a few others normally don't. Um, but that that just, he sounds even more calm than all the others. Uh, Pato Ward, really good day. That's what he's been doing. Hey, that's one thing. You know, Pato has not won a race this year. But has he taken a step forward that he is more consistent and he is getting what's available almost always now? Yeah, I'd agree with that. He had, obviously had a couple uh, bumps and bruises early in the season. Early. We yep. talked about the Dixon incident at Long Beach. Uh, shoot, there was two incidents at Long Beach. But, mm. um, you know, Pato's had a really good season, even though he hasn't won a race. He doesn't feel like he's had the same kind of season, if you just think about it uh, anecdotally, because he hasn't had big moments where you thought, you know, this is his race. I mean, that's kind of how I think about seasons and drivers and teams. You know, when you say, you know, you take Graham Rahal at, at IMS on the road course. That was Graham's race. Scott Dixon won the race. Good for him. They made great strategy, great drive, great fuel. That was Graham's race. And and I don't think I'll think of that race except for, the you know, to think about Dixon's fuel strategy and fuel savings, but that was Graham's Graham's win that he didn't win. But I don't know that there's been a time this season that I've thought that's Pato Pato's race. I'd have to think about it, but I don't remember a race where I'm thinking my check mark says that. Well, goes he had it to, at St. Pete until the wastegate problem or whatever it was. But even that, though, he inherited it. Yes, Who was, I believe he inherited. Was, somebody else was in front. Oh, it was McGrogan. Uh, and Grosjean were yeah. racing for the win. And when they crashed, Pato inherited the lead. And then he had a mechanical. That's right. The race. By the way, Jake Query just texted me. And Alex Pillow will be on this very radio station tomorrow at 1230 Eastern on Query and Company. So tomorrow, Wednesday at 1230 Eastern time on Query and Company. Um, who else? Had a good day here today. Joseph Newgarden had a really good recovery. He sure and Kyle did. Kirkwood, one of those that had to go through the escape path and the chicane at the start of the race, and he fell falls back to 16th or 17th and still finishes fifth. Kirkwood had an adventurous day. Same thing with him. Tops off. Looks like he's going to finish fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, something like that. He had... Was it three penalties? He had a blocking penalty, yield position, a failure to follow the direction of IndyCar, yield position, and another blocking yield position. So I think the first was lap 30, yield position, and then he must not have yielded it quickly enough or yielded as many as required. So give another one back. And then there was another blocking on, on lap 27. But he still finished 10th out of all that. Renus VK has his best result of the season. Finished 6th. Had, as we like to say, I know you love this, elbows out. I'm looking for a better term. No, I don't. I'm I don't like that. <laughs> I know. That's why I want you to give me a better term. Other than saying he was very aggressive, as he was. Well, his elbows just can't get out of the cockpit. That's what I'm getting at. But, uh, he hey, had, let me. He you said you. You said you went uh, and watched the race, right? 
I'm still like 15 laps from finishing. So did Polo block Elio in your opinion? I don't think he did. I don't know. You're kind of wiggling to make the corner. I don't. Well, one, I don't believe I'm qualified to say unless it's just egregious. And it was not egregious. I agree. I just wanted to hear your take on it. That's yeah. that was. You know, and sometimes we in TV world looking for some excitement in a race that we knew it was over on lap 20. <laughs> <laughs> lap lap one. Talking about that. And, oh, is it going to rain? Oh, it's, it, it did start sprinkling a little bit. <laughs> and it was cloudy and cool. You You saw me. I was wearing the sweatshirt. I never wear the sweatshirt because I'm usually moving around. It was, it felt 30 degrees cooler. I know it was only 20 degrees cooler, but there was a breeze and it felt like it could rain at any time. It was really enjoyable. I would always prefer the cool over the warm. Uh, Erickson finishes seventh, does what he does, consistent. Malukas had a great recovery. He was in the back, pitted, finished eighth. Good for him. That's uh, one of, I have to look this up. That might be their best non-oval performance. Um, I think so. Season. Erickson, but, by the way, had a great save when he made contact with uh, Rossi and it cut Rossi's tire. That was a uh, that was a crash that didn't happen. Good yeah. good on Erickson's part for that. Um, you know, just kind of we're running out of time working through. It's a good thing that Tom Blomquist did a race because I think he's going to realize that, OK, I've got some work to do to be ready. For next year, physically, and just everything else. Did you know? Didn't think it was going to happen immediately. And Tom is still going to be fine. But this is a very, very different animal. And well, he didn't. He didn't get to race it. As concerned, he didn't get to race in Toronto. So that that precluded him from maybe gaining some of the knowledge that he needed to gain going into the off season. So, all right, we come back. We will uh, celebrate champions in the lower levels and tell you what's in store for Indy Next this weekend and more. Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And you're listening to Trackside. One more segment on Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Um, want to mention the lower levels, the series formerly known as the Road to Indy, the USF Pro Championships. Now, really um, notable champions this weekend, and and some I want to highlight too. I mentioned on the Indy Next broadcast, I'm a bit biased on the young man who won the USF 2000 Championship because he was the Team USA scholarship winner, one of the three the year that my son Jackson won and was his teammate all year an F-1600. So I know Simon Sykes and his family really well. He's really, really good. And this is the first chance. I think this is, he had done three partial seasons in USF 2000 because like a lot of drivers, didn't have the money to finish the season. And it had some success, but didn't have the budget to do the whole season. Augie Pax gave him a chance, uh, started with a crash and somehow kept going. Started winning races, got to the championship lead, and wrapped it up early. So I'm really happy for Simon Sykes, who is a bit older than some of the kids, but I think there's an advantage to that. He's more experienced, he's smarter, uh, and he's established, and he will be a contender in first season 
of Pro 2000 next year, especially if he stays with Paps Racing to win that championship right off the bat. So happy for Simon. We'll get him on the show here in two or three weeks. If you haven't watched the Indy Next broadcast, uh, Georgia talked to him there on Sunday as well. And and then there's Miles Rowe, who we're equally happy for. And I have watched the progression of his career as well since he came in USF 2000. And he had, as Townsend said on the broadcast, it was a rocky first season. There was some contact. Uh, he didn't have a ton of experience in Formula Cars before that. He had done the Lucas School and some other things, but they did a proper testing program. And then he got a second chance the next year. And even that was in debate. He he wasn't fully supported by Penske Entertainment for the season. Won a race, then they jump on board. Almost won that championship last year, but won five races, moved up this year, and has really been dominant. He is fast. And he is, I think Michael D. Orlando, had he not had bad luck, could have given him a run for the championship this year. He's pretty close to his equal, but Miles is the real deal. And it's obviously notable, too. But I didn't even want to mention this in the interview we did with him. I'm always torn on this, Kurt. It's almost like disrespectful that, hey, we're only talking to you because you are the first black major open wheel champion. Yes, that's true. And yes, I think that opened some doors. And that's why there was the race for equality and change program. But I just wanted to give the kid his due because he's someone that did not have budget was given budget and took advantage of it. That's enough to me that makes Miles Rowe a special story. Agreed. Agreed. He's taken full advantage and he's 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 really quick. He's really quick. And there's a reason Will Power thought a lot of him early in his career. And um be fun to watch him progress. If Louis Foster does not come back and do Indy next next season, I think my early pick might be Miles Rowe for the championship if he's with HMD next season which where i would is where i would think he would be because that's where the penske entertainment and force indy car is this year you know the question is can they create a second one can ernie francis jr get another season i hope there's more opportunities for ernie down the road christian rasmussen is in great shape for the championship um just needs to i haven't looked up the numbers we don't know how many are entered but you know it's probably just kind of finishing the race will be all he needs to do to win that scholarship this weekend we'll have two races this weekend on peacock on saturday and sunday look up the times and then we're on the air at 2 30 eastern on nbc 325 green flag radio coverage with indycar radio and we think on 93 wibc thank you kurt we'll talk to you tuesday night next week sounds good kev see you for eddie garrison and kurt i'm kevin thanks for joining us 93 5 107 5 the fan